You are listening to Press Church Podcast. Please enjoy this week's message. Amen. As we finish, we have been going through a series this whole month, and we are finishing the series today on why we are called what we are called. The first week we talked about the name Press Church, the scripture that we use to be called Press Church. Then, for the last two weeks and this week, we have been talking about the three core values, why and what Press Church is, what you can expect from now until Jesus returns of what Press Church is going to focus on in regards to the three core values. We have different types of presses on this earth that we use to help us understand what we're trying to teach. And so we talked about the bench press, where we encourage you to work out your salvation, like the Scripture tells us. Last week, we talked about the coffee press, where we encourage you, like it says in Hebrews, to not forsake the assembling of the brethren. We want you to work out your salvation. We want you to be the best Christian that you want to be. We want you to have the greatest relationship with God that you want to have. And then we want you to come together We know that iron sharpens iron, and when the doors are open, when we have events that we can sit down in each other's houses, at the church, in whatever event or function that we do, and have a cup of coffee with each other and share with each other what God has done. Because we saw last week that there's something that is in you that this church needs, that this body needs, that this family needs, that this community needs. There's something in me that I need to get to you, that we are all one body, but we're all members individually, that there is giftings, there is callings, there are things in each and every one of us that brings us together and makes this church flourish. And this week, we're going to be talking about the last core value, the printing press. And the scripture that we use for this third core value, the printing press, is 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. You've heard the scripture, and you'll hear it until I have... One last breath in my lungs. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. This is Paul writing to the Gentile church, the church of Corinth. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received in which you stand. Verse 2 says, by which also you are saved. So he's about to tell us what the gospel is, and whatever whatever he tells us is what we need to believe to be saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Here we go. Here's the gospel, verse 3, for I delivered to you first all that which I also received. So Paul had to receive it first and understand it, and then he shares it out that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, verse 4 says, in a tomb, and he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. That is the gospel message. That is what you believe to be saved That is what we preach and what we declare here at Press Church. We're talking about the printing press. For those who know or don't know, it was invented by a a fellow by the name of Johannes Gutenberg. He invented it a couple days ago, back in 1439. And it was a faster method and process than handwriting. Back then, they were writing these books by hand and taking years and years and years. They were trying to transcribe books, and people would tell their stories. They're writing, writing, writing. 
So he comes up with the printing press. He sets it up to where it produces and makes books so much faster. He's putting the little words in there, and he's putting the ink on it, and he's pressing it down on the paper. And he can do a whole page. He can do pages in a quick, timely manner. So it made access to books quicker and easier, including the Bible. In the 1450s, Gutenberg made 180 Bibles, and they were already sold before he even finished. And of those 180, it is believed that at least 49 still remain. Might not be full copies of the Bible, but at least 49 of these 180 still remain. The Bible sold for 30 florian. They believe that to get 30 florian took around three years, three years wages to get up to 30 florian. One florian was believed to be 3.5 grams of gold. And the best estimation that I could see online was that it was worth, according to a dollar amount, anywhere from $140 to $1,000. A lot of money back then to buy one book, the Bible. But you know what? Before he even had them all made, they were sold out. The hunger for the Bible. This printing press helped grow the Renaissance and the Reformation because this put the knowledge of the Bible and other books into the hands of the common people to learn. Way back then, it was for the hoity-toity. It was for the, the scientists. It was for the upper echelon who could read or have access to books. And all of a sudden, he started making these books and he started making these Bibles and the, the, the normal man got a hold of it. The normal man got a hold of the Bible and started reading it himself and started gaining knowledge. And what we know is that knowledge is power. And as these people started reading the Bible and other books, it couldn't help but stop the Renaissance and the Reformation from sparking. It got people thinking. It got people dreaming. It brought people out of the dark ages because we know that knowledge is power. I guess YouTube now is the modern day book for us. I can, if there's something wrong with my car and all the lights are flashing on there, the check engine light comes on. For those who know or don't know, if the check engine light comes on, something's wrong with your car. You should probably get that checked out. Knowledge is power. I'll just put that in into your brain. But I don't know what to do. I hear a clinking noise. I, I hear this or that in the car. How can I figure out what to do? I could bring it to someone who has the knowledge and they can fix it. Or I could go to a book or I could go to YouTube and write such and such car making clickety-clack noise. And I guarantee you there's a video of some fella that's saying, well, if you pull this up and you turn this off and you pour this in, you throw some magic dust in there, bing, bang, bong, boom, your car is working again. That knowledge is power. And it's something that we have access to in this book. Look at John chapter 8, verses 31 through 32. 
This is Jesus speaking, and he says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciple indeed. Verse 32, we've heard this scripture before, and you shall know the truth, and then the truth shall make you free. That knowledge is power, that you will know the truth, and then that the knowledge of that truth and what is the truth? Well, we know Jesus' name is the truth. Jesus gave you the answer to his word. If you, if you abide in my word, then you'll find out the truth. And then that truth will set you free. That we study and understand. Look at this other scripture in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 15. Proverbs, the book of knowledge, the book of wisdom, written by the, the wisest king ever. There is gold and a multitude of rubies, amen, but the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. The lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. The lips, the speaking of knowledge is a precious jewel that I pass down information to my children that maybe I didn't receive from my parents, or I pass down information that my parents gave me to my kids, as well, that the printing press and the, the core value that we are focusing on today is the gospel message, and that we as a church are going to, one, know and receive the truth of the gospel message, but we're also going to go out into the community and share the gospel message, because the lips of knowledge are precious jewels, and what you have in your heart and what you have on the tip of your tongue is precious knowledge that people out there in your work life, in your family life, in your grocery store life, people that you pass by don't know it. There are people out there that are hurting and dying and struggling, and you have the knowledge that will set them free. And it's the gospel message. The simple gospel message that Christ died for your sins. He was buried in a tomb and he rose again the third day. That knowledge of you knowing it, sharing it with someone and them knowing it will set them free. So I have a question for you in regards to the gospel. Do you believe the gospel is real? Do you believe the gospel is real? Do you believe that Jesus is real. Because we've got we've to solve that question first. Because if you don't believe that he's real, then how can you go tell somebody else about it? If you don't understand, if you don't know, if you haven't experienced it, if you haven't tasted and seen that the Lord is good, it's not going to encourage you to go out and share the message with anybody. In history, it confirms that there was a human by the name of Jesus who existed as a Jewish man born in the early first century. The religion of Judaism rejects Jesus as the Messiah. They believe that he was a man, he said a couple good things, and that they killed him. But they don't believe that he's the Messiah. The Jews believe that the Messiah is coming back. They're kind of right, he is coming back. In Islam, the Muslim faith believes that Jesus was a messenger of God, but he was actually Muslim. 
Jesus is actually mentioned in the Quran, the book of Islam. And listen to what they talk about. They believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. The Muslims, they believe that. They believe that he did miracles. They believe that he did not sin. They even believe that Jesus went to heaven. Here's where the tracks start to fall off a little bit. The Quran believes that Jesus and states that Jesus did not die on the cross, but he was rescued by God. They reject the divinity of Jesus as God. And they believe that Jesus was before their prophet Muhammad and made way and introduced, kind of like John the Baptist introduced the prophet Muhammad to come. You know that even atheists believe in Jesus. They believe that he was a moral teacher, but they don't agree that he was God. One of the most famous atheists on the planet right now, Richard Dawkins, believes that Jesus was a good moral teacher. In a couple of years back, I believe in 2019, Dawkins even came out and made the statement that if Jesus was alive today and saw the church and saw what was being preached and done, he believes and made the statement that Jesus would be an atheist. I feel like that was just for him to sell books, but even the atheists believe and then us, Christians, we believe that he's God. We believe that he's the Messiah. We believe that he is the connection, the mediator between God and man. Do you know that there's over 52 countries that have banned or strongly persecute people for owning a Bible? 52 countries will kill will persecute, will throw you in jail for having this book. I mean, if 52 countries ban this book, there's got to be something in it. I know some of us have these gold-plated pages, but that's not the reason. There's got to be words because we believe that knowledge is power, that there's something in this book that can transform and change people's lives. The disciples... After they saw Jesus go up into heaven, went about doing the great commission that God told them to do. Go into all the world, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, speak in tongues. As you've seen me do it, you go do those things, and even greater things, he says. Peter, crucified upside down. Andrew, crucified. Thomas, speared. Philip crucified, James the Greater stabbed, James the Lesser stoned, Jude either filled with arrows or filleted with arrows, either way, neither one fun. John died of natural death after possibly being thrown into boiling oil and banished to an island. Matthew stabbed, Simon crucified, Bartholomew flayed and beheaded. Matthew crucified. Paul beheaded, Stephen stoned. If this was not real, if Jesus was not who he said he was, would these disciples have died defending the faith? If it was all a ruse, if it was all a joke, and the gospel message is not real, if I'm laying on that cross, 
and they just put the tip of a nail in my hand, I'm saying, wait, 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 hold on, hold on. Funny joke, Roman, Roman soldiers. I got a funny joke for you. To be filled with arrows, to be crucified, to be put, to be deep fried in a vat of oil. If you've never read it, I encourage you to pick it up, the Fox's Book of Martyrs, that explains in detail men and women all throughout history who have died simply because they've had this book or they've refused to recant that Jesus is Lord. Men and women all over the world, all throughout history, have fought, died, bled for this book and for this man, Jesus Christ. Jesus can only be three things. Jesus could be a lunatic where he's just making stuff up. He's just crazy out of his mind. We've had plenty of people show up on this earth throughout history and say that they were the son or daughter of God. Was Jesus just another crazy man that showed up in history? Or was Jesus a liar? Was he the greatest con artist of all time? The number one selling book of all history, the Bible, that he convinced not only a generation of who he is, but he convinced the whole world and many generations to come of who he is. He's either a lunatic, crazy as all get out, he's either a liar and the greatest con artist of all time, or he's the third thing, Jesus is Lord. He truly was who he says he was. He truly is doing what he said he would do. And you yourself have to rectify that in your own personal life. Because if you truly believe that he is Lord, then that means everything that's in that book is true and everything in that book can happen in your life and in your family's life and in this church and in this community. If you truly believe that he is Lord, then we should be sharing that message. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. This is, this is Paul talking to the religious leaders. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, he's in the middle of him speaking. He says, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Paul, I mean, I'm sorry, Peter standing up in front of the religious leaders says, there is no other name that you can be saved. There is no other person, there is no other human, there is no other God, there is no other thing that you can call on and be saved. There's only one name. His name is Jesus. Jesus makes the declaration, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus made that statement. Nobody else made that statement about it. He stood up in front of all these people and made the declaration, I am the way, the only way, the truth, and the life. And if we believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and there's no other way to get to heaven or to the Father except through him, knowledge is power. And it is our responsibility as press church, it is our responsibility as Christians 
to bring that knowledge to every person we come in contact with, to encourage them to taste and see that the Lord is good. Experience Him. Just read the Bible once. Just go to church once. Just experience and pray once and see if He doesn't show Himself mighty. Second question that I have. So if we do believe in the gospel, if we do believe Jesus is who He says He is, then do you believe the gospel is important enough to tell someone? If one, you've checked off in your box, you know what, pastor, I believe it. Jesus is who he says he is. He is the Savior. He is the Lord. He's the Lord over my life. He's changed my life. He's helped my life. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was dead, but now he made me alive. I once was going to hell, but now I'm going to heaven. If you believe those things, now do you think that it's important that you just tell someone about it when you have the opportunity? Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, Paul is making the statement up front in the book of Romans to the church of Rome, and he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And then verse 17 says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And why is Paul making this definitive statement? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because he makes the statement, for it is the power of God to salvation. The power of God. That when we think of power, we think of earthquakes, we think of explosions, we think of somebody rich and famous, full of muscles and flexing those muscles. But Paul says the gospel, the simple gospel message is the power of God. If you can, if you're interacting with someone and they're talking about what's going on in their lives and the struggles and the things that are happening... It's the gospel. So and so, do you know that Christ died for your sins according to the Scriptures? That He was buried in a tomb and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures? That simple message is the power of God that brings, transforms, and urges someone to salvation. And in the gospel it says, in verse 17, that the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness of God. Somehow we as humans, just like in Adam and Eve, we're scared of God. Ah! He knows my faults. He knows my failures. He knows my sins. He knows what I just did. Why should I go to church? Why should I pray? Why should I read my Bible? He knows me. I'm naked. I'm ashamed. The wrath of God is going to be poured on me. The anger of God is going to be poured on me. The frustration of God is going to be poured on me. The rejection of God is going to be poured on me. But it says in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Because it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. That when I hear that gospel message, when you hear that gospel message, when your family, when your friends, when the hardest of hearts hears that gospel message, a seed is planted and the righteousness of God is revealed. 
In Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 15, Paul is writing and he says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are not sent? As it is written, he's quoting a verse out of Isaiah 52 right here. He says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of anger, the gospel of sin, the gospel of rejection, the gospel of you're not good enough, the gospel of I hate you, the gospel. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peach, of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. When Jesus shows up on earth, the angels show up in the heaven to the the shepherds, and they say, glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth, and goodwill to men. That word peace in the Greek is arene, the end of havoc and war, the end of it. Jesus hadn't even gone to the cross yet. Jesus barely even came out of the womb. He had maybe maybe grunted, maybe made a mess in his diaper. He hadn't healed a sick. He hadn't raised the dead. He hadn't done one thing, and the angels were already declaring, peace on earth. The end of the havoc of war is over because this baby is here. Hadn't died on the cross, hadn't shed his blood, hadn't taken stripes on his back, hadn't grown up, hadn't done one thing. And the angels were declaring, peace is here. The gospel of peace is the message that we bring to people everywhere we go. We bring glad tidings of good things to come. Your life is going to get better when you taste and see that the Lord is good. Your life is going to improve. You are not just destined to go to heaven and one day, one in the, in the blue sky and by, everything will be fine, but I'm just going to suffer here on earth. No, no, no. There is peace that is being declared when you declare the gospel. Why is it important to tell someone the gospel? Family, I want to show you in a scripture that You going to heaven is not your reward. It's Jesus' reward. It's just a benefit that you get. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. For it was fitting for him. It's fitting for him. The bare minimum is fitting. It was okay, we'll give it to him for him. For whom are all things and by whom are all things. And look at this in bringing many sons to glory. Look at this name of Jesus. To make the captain of your salvation, my salvation, their salvation, perfect through sufferings. In Psalms chapter 2, there's a scripture that talks about he's going to give you the nations. Ask and I'll give you the nations. And we in the churches, we, we talk about that. And we, but if you read Psalms chapter 2, it's God actually speaking to Jesus. And he's saying, Jesus, if you ask for the nations, I'll give them to you. We can ask for the nations as well. We can tap into that scripture as well. But the inheritance of the nations is actually for Jesus. Jesus died for all. And it is Jesus' reward that all people go to heaven with him for eternity. And if you believe that, then it is our job and our goal as Christians to bring as much of a reward to Jesus as we can. 
that when I get to heaven, I bring my wife with me, I bring my kids with me, I bring my family with me, I bring my congregation and my church with me, people that I've encountered all throughout ministry that we've done, that people that you have touched and people that you will touch, knowing in the back of your head, I am looking at and talking to the reward of the Messiah. And if I can tell them about the gospel, if I can tell them that they don't have to deal with this internal war and struggle anymore because peace has been brought to them, peace has been declared, there is good tidings of good things to come for them, I can bring a reward to heaven to Jesus. Jesus, I I don't know what I can bring to him. There's not enough gold that I can find that I can bring to heaven. There's not enough cars that I can buy. There's not enough houses or boats, money, Bitcoin. There's not a, a meal that I can make great enough to bring to Jesus. But there's something that I can bring, and it's another soul. It's as many souls as I can to honor what he did for me. And if we start looking at people as the reward of Jesus, as opposed to the color of their skin, or as opposed to what they're doing or they're not doing, or who they voted for or who they didn't vote for. If we looked at people as the reward of Jesus and we're pulling them out of hell and we're bringing them up to our Savior, our conversations would change. We wouldn't be so quick if we looked at our spouses, if we looked at our kids as the rewards of Jesus. I want to take care of my son and daughter. I want to raise them up in the knowledge of Jesus, that they know who he is. And I can bring them and say, Jesus, thank you for giving me my kids. Now let me offer them back up to you in heaven when we go there. The reward of heaven. The last thing I have, and we're finishing with this. Do you believe in the gospel? Do you believe the gospel is important enough to tell someone The last question is, well, then, how do I tell someone about the gospel? In Mark chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, Jesus has just healed the demoniac, and he's trying to go with Jesus. He says, let me come with you, and and let me me go and travel and do ministry with you, and, and, and let me go. And Jesus tells him, doesn't let him come. How would Jesus not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he, look at this, how he has had compassion on you. Verse 20, and he departed and began to proclaim in the Decapolis. The Decapolis means uh, 10 cities, all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. See, the thing is, he didn't just go home and talk to his friends. He went to the Decapolis, which is 10 cities. He went everywhere. Jesus couldn't have gone. I mean, with all the ministry and the things that he was doing, it was just physically impossible for him to go on that missionary journey that this man went on. But people knew about the demon-possessed man. They knew that he was naked. They knew that he was tied up. They knew that he lived in the tombs. They knew that no chains could hold him. He was cutting himself with rocks. They knew that he was crazy. Then they heard that Jesus showed up, and all of a sudden he's sitting there in his right mind fully clothed. He says, Jesus, let me come with you. He says, no, no, no. You go home and you tell them 
the good things that Jesus has done for you and the compassion that he showed for you. And he couldn't help but go from place to place to place and tell people, I once was this naked, crazy man living in a tomb, and then I met a man, and that man changed my life. He set me free. People around me tried to hold me down and hold me back and tie me up and just let crazy be crazy in a corner. But this man, I ran to him, and he didn't push me away. He didn't throw me into the tombs. He loved on me. He talked to me. He changed me. And it says, all people marveled. Who is this man? When you go out there and share your testimony, it's going to make people ask, who is this man that changed your life? I knew who you were. I knew what you did. I know what happened. Who is this man that you speak of that changed your life? You just do what this man does. Go home and tell your friends what the Lord has done for you. Go home and tell your friends that the Lord had compassion for you. That you once were dead, but he made you alive. Revelations chapter 12, verses 10 through 11. I'll finish with this scripture. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. Look at this. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. You dumb devil. You lose. You've already lost. And, verse 11, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives to the death. Number one, tell your testimony. Tell your testimony. Don't just tell them what God has brought you out of. Don't just tell them about all the relationships and all the drugs and all the bars and all. Let's, we can talk about that, but let's not talk about exclusively what he brought us out of, but what we need to focus on is what he's brought us into. At the moment you said yes to Jesus, you went from being dead to being born again. Tell them about that. From the moment you said yes to Jesus, you went from having a dead spirit to being alive and the Holy Spirit now residing, God himself residing in you. You went from being dead to being alive, from now having being pulled out of the kingdom of darkness and conveyed into the kingdom of light immediately. As soon as you said yes to Jesus, you got pulled out of hell and you got brought in to heaven. You got pulled out of being a slave, being a foreigner, being an enemy of God, and you got brought into being a son and daughter of Abba Father. At the moment you said yes, all of those things immediately happened. Who cares what I got brought out of? Let me tell you about what I got brought into. Tell people that. People want to know what's in it for me. What do I get out of it? Let me tell you what you get out of it. You get brought out of darkness into light. You get brought out of death into life. You get brought out of hell into heaven. You get brought out of being an enemy and a foreigner of God to now being a son and daughter of the Most High. Tell your testimony. And the second step is just be ready. As soon as you say yes to God and say, you know what, God, I want to I tell somebody about you, it does not take long for God to show somebody right up to your front door. And you say, wait a second, time out, time out, God. 
Time out. I'm not ready for this. I don't, I don't know what to say. But the Holy Spirit is inside of you, and God said, Jesus said, that the Holy Spirit is going to lead you and guide you to all truth. And he's inside of you, and he will tell you of things that Jesus has said, is what the Scripture says. When you encounter somebody, the Holy Spirit is going to let you know. You're going to feel that unction inside of you. Say something. Ah, no, I don't want to. Tell them I love them. Pray for them. Invite them to church. Pay for their meal. Give them 20 bucks. Fix their car. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do, but I, I can fix their car. I, I can bring their groceries here. I can go visit them at their house. And then all of a sudden, you're sitting there, and they're pouring their heart out to you. I'm lost. I'm scared. I'm tired. I'm weary. I need help. I've asked around, and nobody Ah, I've got the answer. Christ died for your sins. He was buried in a tomb, and he rose again the third day. If you believe that message, that knowledge is power. You'll know that truth. That truth will set you free, and you will start a journey in life that will change you forever. It's been a long time since I've been golfing. I wasn't good to begin with. And the longer I get away from swinging the golf club, the worse I know that I will be. But there's something interesting about anyone who does play golf is for the most part, we all have different swings. If you watch golf online, if you watch the Masters, if you watch these, and you watch these professional golfers, they all have different swings. You can watch Tiger Woods and how he does what he does. You can watch Bubba Watson who swears he's never had a lesson in his life and how he just moves the clubs in different ways and the ball just carries all these different ways. You can watch Fred Couples who's just so perfect in his swing, perfect form. You can watch the lefty feel. You can come out to the local, local golf course and watch me and watch how my ball goes two feet and 90 to the right. But we all have different golf swings because we all have different arm lengths and, and different muscle mass and, and different things. But the goal of golf is to hit the ball and put it in the hole. That's the goal. The goal when you're interacting with someone is to get the ball in the hole and tell them about Jesus. You might not have the same golf swing as me. You don't have the same story as me. You don't have the same testimony as me. It's a different golf swing. It's a different way. I can tell you how I interact with people and how I pray with people and I help people, but you have your own story. You have your own golf swing that the Holy Spirit has placed inside you. Use that swing to your advantage and get the, get the ball in the hole and bring the reward that Jesus deserves with you. Everywhere you go, look for the reward of Jesus. And the last thing I have, if you can bring up uh, just that little screen thing, it's got Press Church, and there we go. We are a Press Church, and we encourage you to press toward the prize and the high mark of Jesus in Christ Jesus. Diaco, D I O K O, to passionately run and pursue after a person or thing. 
Our mission, our goal will always be to push you toward Jesus, to run after Jesus. Jesus is building this church, so therefore, as your pastor, I'm going to passionately pursue him to know what we're supposed to do next. And then we have three core values that we will forever stand on in this church. The bench press, where we encourage you to work out your own salvation. Be the man and woman of God that God has called you to be. There is something inside of you that you might not even tapped into yet, but God knows it's there and he's calling it out. Now is the season for you to stand up and be the man or woman of God. Go work out your salvation. Read your Bible, pray, come to church, coffee press, fellowship with others, other Christians at church. We're gonna have these doors open. We're gonna bring men and women of God We're going to get prophets here. We're going to get pastors here. We're going to get missionaries here. We're going to have events together where we can sit down and eat and fellowship. Make it a priority to be in church and let iron sharpen iron to help you be the man and woman that God wants you to be. And lastly, the printing press. We're going to tell the good news to the community. We're going to let people know that Jesus is real. We're going to let them know that the gospel is real everywhere we go. We're not just going to stay in these four walls, but we're going to go out into the community. We're going to do community things. And when we interact with people in the community, we're going to let them know that Jesus is alive, that Jesus loves them, that Jesus died for them. Not only did he die, but he rose again, and he went up into heaven, and Jesus is returning for them. And if they believe on him, they can spend eternity with him. Those are our three core values, and I hope and pray as we go on this journey in life together at this church that you will adopt those for your personal life, and I guarantee you, you will see the kingdom of God show up and manifest in your life, in your family's life, and we will change this community. We will change this community. We will help this community by following these core values. Amen? Let's stand up as we get ready to head out. Father, we thank you for this church We thank you that you have placed us here for such a time as this. Father, we make the choice and the decision today to passionately pursue you, to chase after you, to keep our focus on you. Father, I thank you that we as a church make a declaration that we are going to work out our salvation. We are going to have quiet time with you. We are going to hear and be led by the voice of God. We are going to grow in you. We are going to experience you. We are going to be used by you. The gifts of the Spirit are going to manifest in us today, right now. The Scripture says to desire the gifts and to pursue love, and we do that today. Father, we make it a priority when these doors are open that we'll be here. When the doors are open, there's a service happening. We'll be here, and we'll serve, and we'll volunteer, and we'll help, and we'll build this church that you've placed here, Father, for such a time as this. And Father, we just won't stay in this building, Father, but we'll go out into the community. Father, bring the community to us. Give us wisdom and knowledge on how to reach out to different people in the community to where we can invite them to church, we can love on on them, we can pray with them, we can see miracles, signs, and wonders. Father, let Press Church be known as a place full of miracles, signs, and wonders and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit that when they walk in, they feel the peace and the presence and the love of God that instantly when they walk in, depression ceases. Father, when they walk in, healings automatically occur. Father, when they sit in these chairs, they feel your presence like they've never felt before where they can't deny that God is real. And they come to a knowledge of you, Father. 
Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you that you've placed us as leaders here in this church. We don't take it lightly. Father, I thank you for this community, and I thank you for this congregation. I thank you we're just seeing the beginning. This is just the beginning of growth, that we have laid seeds for these last three years, Father, and we will see a harvest. We will see growth in this church in the name of Jesus. Father, bring in leaders, bring in the resources and the things and the people that we need so that we can go out and minister to this community and this surrounding areas. Father, I thank you for these people. I thank you that they have the mind of Christ. I thank you that they are blessed and highly favored. Father, I thank you that they are healed by the stripes of Jesus. Father, I thank you that the favor of God surrounds them like a shield. Father, I thank you that everything they put their hands to must prosper. Father, I thank you that we are the salt and light of the earth. We will be the printing press that goes out and delivers the good news to everyone we come in contact with. Father, bless your people, protect your people, and cause them to prosper in everything they do and bring them back safely with stories of miracle signs and wonders next Sunday. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to Press Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us or are interested in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in our bio or visit presschurch.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Press Church SC and have a great week.